Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And if you've listened before, then you probably know already, since we're up to episode 25, the quarter century, that uh, we discuss films here on the podcast and that we are currently discussing A Dangerous Method. And just a quick heads up that we uh, are watching, uh, sorry, discussing this after having watched the film, so be aware that the contents of this podcast are full of spoilers. Yeah, we strongly advise you go see it and then listen to our podcast. And if you're online, uh, we'll just point you in the direction of facebook.com slash podme if you can. As always, we love getting suggestions for films for us to review and discuss in future podcasts. Um, On one of our previous episodes, we did upcoming films that we were looking forward to. Lloyd, you listed this one, A Dangerous Method, as one of your top five five films to see. So tell us what influenced that decision. Well, I'm a big fan of David Cronenberg. I think he's one of the most intelligent filmmakers in the world at the moment. He's been going on since the 70s till now. And each of his content is so thought-provoking. He started off in the mid-70s with Shivers and really opened up this sexual revolution. And then Carpenter ruined it all with his puritanical (laughs) films, such as Halloween, where, you know, whoever doesn't have sex survives, that sort of thing. But Shivers really brought out a lot of questions and he really followed that up with very intelligent, thought-provoking films. Like the subject matters he attacks with tenacity. You know, like, they're not your typical Hollywood films. They make you think. They open up a lot of questions. They explore so many different areas that, you know... And to see that in the realm of film where there's so much money there's so much investment it's great you know it's a work of art each of his films you know he's heavily influenced by Burroughs Allen Ginsberg and and so forth so a lot of his imagery is very dynamic Um, in the 80s as well he conquered heaps with The Fly like that was his first like really breakout film but he never followed that up like sticking with mainstream films and it made a ton of money and with with The Fly I vividly yeah. remember our media Jeff studies Goldman, yeah. our media studies teacher wearing The Fly t-shirt oh yeah no it's a big cult film all the time <laughs> yeah he was also a taxi driver fan and everything Graham Levi yeah not to name names <laughs> oh we're name dropping yeah yeah <laughs> um, but also in the 90s which I thought he was left with obscurity he never be- you know got a big massive film like to the wide audiences all throughout the 90s and you know it's a bit strange after coming out with the fly you'd think he'd you know stick with that sort of thing but like the naked lunch an adaptation of one of the most difficult novels ever he did that you know and it's a very disturbing um movie but the big one of the 90s to me is crash about sexuality and you know the link between violence and sexuality it's is that- a Who's in that one? Just refresh my memory. Oh, jeez. It's that guy who was in Boston Legal. So it's James Spader. James Spader. That's, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an incredible film. Very difficult um, novel to read on, you know, w- you know, we're coming to an age of what is what does sex mean in the 21st century now that we have test tubes. You know, for a long time, sex was our link against death, you know, our immortality. But now we've got the technology to get rid of that. You know, what does it mean? Is it art? Is it a weapon? And so forth. And all these questions are implicit within the film. You know, it's a very dark and disturbing film. Within the crash. Yeah, within crash. Mm -hmm. And then he did Existence, which is like The Matrix. Um, A lot of, like, Guillermo del Toro goes on and on about that. It came out during the same time as The Matrix, so it got flattened at the box office. But very interesting film about reality, it's interesting, yeah. I've, I watched Existence on VHS. Yep. Um, you remember those? <laughs> yeah. And um, I remember thinking, oh, well, this was really interesting. Yeah. But a lot like The Matrix. It's a lot like The Matrix, And yeah. it's, it's funny that you say uh, 
his film got crushed against the Matrix. Yeah, um, got completely flattened. No one saw it. <laughs> yeah, in 1999 was it? Yep, yeah, 1999. Yeah, the same time as the Matrix. Exactly. Um, that's interesting because I'm thinking he's not very critically successful. No, Cronenberg. Oh you? right, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he's got that cult following. I think I think critics understand he's a very intelligent filmmaker, but they don't enjoy his films. Mm. And I like it how he just doesn't care. He's just like, no, no. You know, I only listen to myself, the artist within me, to make the films, which is great, but it hurts the very David Lynch like. Very it? David Lynch, yeah, that's what I like about it. <laughs> you, you know, you got to stand out. Um, it, it's not like a Hollywood movie where it pushes all the right buttons. This is where you cry. This is where you laugh. It opens up a whole new dimension of thinking, and and you know, very thought provoking movies. Um, and so forth. Like, I loved it how Existence really explored what is reality and where, you know, where could gaming take us? That sort of thing. You know, we're layers and layers. You plug in, yeah. Yeah, you plug in and all that, yeah. And then he did um, Spider, which is going to be linked to this film in 2002 with Ray Fiennes. And that is one of the most point of view... Uh, well, the biggest um, uh, thing I can compare this with is that what's that? A beautiful mind. Yeah. That's like the Spider-Man of schizophrenia. It's all this Hollywood. You know, the girl is so beautiful. Mm. The, uh, you know, um, everything is so perfect. Every it's just too cr- crazy over the top. Whereas Spider, you're really inside the schizophrenic mindset. You don't know who's who. And it was, you know, so I don't know if I can say clinically accurate, but it felt. Like, I was in a schizophrenic movie. I strongly advise you, everyone to go see it. It's a very low-budget movie, but it's incredible where it takes you. So A Beautiful Mind is like the Hollywood version oh, yeah, of schizophrenia. Yeah, of schizophrenia. you're saying um, this one is... A more of a clinical look, okay. more of a down-to-earth look. Like, set in England, very drabby and... Oh ugly look and he's followed it up with the history of violence and eastern promises a relationship with the new star Viggo Mortensen and they they are very close friends very sort of like we're seeing the birth of like you know we talk about Martin Scorsese and uh, DiCaprio yep, and, and uh, Depp and um, uh, Burton. Tim Burton yep yeah, you know and this is a new combination that's coming and Viggo Mortensen's a very morally strong-minded person. Like, he won't do a script unless he feels morally right. He speaks several languages, you know, mm. he's a very intelligent actor, incredible actor as well. And, you know, henceforth, this relationship has been born. And I have to say, Lloyd isn't being biased. He hates Lord of the Rings. I hate Lord of the I can't stand <laughs> Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and no, Viggo it, Mortensen, it, everybody usually knows him from that. I remember him from Albino Alligator. I haven't even seen that, no, yeah, yeah. It's like a Matt Dillon He film. was in Carlito's Way. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta wear these diapers, man. Yeah, no, he's yeah. fantastic in that. But everybody knows him from Lord of the Rings, and Lloyd hates Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so, yeah. So he's still saying he's a good actor. <laughs> so we've got history of violence and danger, uh, and um, uh, uh, Eastern, Eastern promises. promises. And up comes this new film, A Dangerous Method. Now I have to admit, watching this film, a lot of the subject matter went over my head. Yeah, it's dealing with um, psychoanalysis during the birth of it. A yeah. lot of these themes were you know taboo at the time mm-hmm. but they were opening up whole new areas of thought which is implicit in today like every psychological student is you know from these two godfathers of the schools you got Carl Jung and then you got Freud yeah. you know and everything's on it i was trying to think in the on this subject matter what films can i compare this to i can't compare it to anything this is probably the best film on the subject of psychoanalysis i i can think of and it delves into it pretty you know i know they painstakingly went through all this material all these letters that still exist today and they found a recording it's actually gone viral on youtube maybe we can put a link up there on our thing um the only recording of freud ever and they found it and vigo mortensen used that to get the language and the feel and the 
pronunciation of words, how his speech patterns go and so mm. forth. And that really helped out. They extrapolate a lot for that to help out in the performance. I bet there's a comparison video on YouTube as well. Oh, probably, yeah. Probably, I'd love yeah. to see it, like hardcore students. Now, this, um, we all, everyone talks about what films they play to law students, and it's always Sidney Lumet's 12 Angry Men mm -hmm. and The Verdict. Me and David actually met in a legal studies class, and that's the first you know few films we watched. We watched 12 Angry Men and The Verdict. Mm -hmm. But two Sidney Lumet films. I think within a couple of years, the film that they'll be playing to all psychological psych students of psychology yeah. will be this film. I think because this is the birthplace of psychoanalysis, it delves into it historically accurately. Um, a lot of the subject, again, went over my head, so I couldn't enjoy I was intellectually... Intel intellectually stimulated. stimulated. <laughs> I know what um, you're going for. Yeah, yeah, intellectually stimulated, but um, I don't know, like a lot of David Cronenberg films, I feel felt uncomfortable, I didn't feel satisfied, I had sometimes I had no idea what was going on, but I can't deny its impact and what it's going to have and I, you know there's so much discussions about this film on the internet um, we were talking before about the special features on the DVD the audio commentary is fantastic so what, what version of the DVD did you get? Oh, the region 1 version okay. uh, from America I got it in while we were still playing it in cinema mm -hmm. that was pretty naughty <laughs> um, but yeah, but that's like, how long it took to get to Australia. Yeah, exactly. So. But if you Google um, David Cronenberg's um, Eastern Promises, you'll see tons of videos on, um, on YouTube interviews about, you know, just opened up so much discussions to mm -hmm. the world. So, you know, it's pretty fantastic. Um, yeah, as a, as a whole, like, I can't say you'll enjoy this film like a comedy, like a, like a horror, even like a typical thriller, because it's not. But you will get, you know, that stimulation of history, of um, especially of the discussion of the human psychology. Much like, like, it's not a violent film, like much of Cronenberg's work. I know a lot of people think, oh, yeah, Cronenberg film, I'm expecting monsters, demons, violence. No, no, it's the same sort of thing, but more of a, uh, uh intelligent a psychological impact rather than mm. a visceral impact I guess I don't know when watching this I mean if you think about it in today's sort of yeah. instant gratification kind of culture this is a film that's destined to fail oh yeah, yeah. Mean, there's no spectacular shots nothing like that there's, there's just there's a scene where Keira Knightley slaps Michael Fassbender you know in the face kind of thing yeah. slashes at him kind of thing and there's a bit and of I, a cut yeah and I was like oh a bit of action you know, <laughs> finally well that woke happened. me up yeah, yeah. And that's way into the film. So. I know. Um, I got to talk about the performances. Did you like everyone all around? I thought they were all very solid. Uh, I heard Kira Knightley got really um, destroyed critically, but I thought she was fantastic. I've I've seen Hysteria um, patients online, you know, and she was liking, you know, mm. how she's trying to mouth the words at the very start. It's very conf the conf confrontation of it at the cinema must have been like, oh. You well, know. what I thought was at the beginning, oh, wow, this is really interesting. Yeah. But then during the film, she gets better and better and better in terms of um, less, you know, crazy. Men less yeah. crazy. Her mental illness doesn't affect her as much. Yeah. And it gets less interesting. So you're watching her and going, oh, wow, at the beginning. And then it just sort of fades away. And then she's playing, uh, what is it, Jewish Russian? Yep. So it's like an accent that you can't oh, really that, identify that, that's with. an interesting point with the accents because we were talking heaps about how the failure of like uh, a bad example of it would be like uh, Steven Spielberg's and here it is Warhorse. <laughs> that's our Warhorse quota for this month um <laughs> You know, where the, you go into the German camp and they just switch the accents. Whereas this um, this film works for uh, because what they chose to do was the main language is English, 
uh, which is the German, because they're all German speaking. Mm -hmm. And then Kira Knightley would have to adjust, because she's the Russian character, she'd have to adjust the Russian into the English. So mm -hmm. that was very effective, I thought, rather than you know, have it all as English and then you're into the German camp, they just have German accents. Oh, we're Germany, Russia, uh, French accents now we're in France, you know. This this method I sort of, sort of thought worked, yeah. Mm. I've, I did a little digging on uh, IMDb just to sort of see what the consensus was mm. about Kira Knightley's performance. And it's about 50-50. Some, wow, okay, yeah. some people think she got robbed, you know, that she should have got an Oscar nomination. And then there are people that are like, I was laughing at her. Yes, yep. People that, were laughing at the cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people who were just like, it was ridiculous. Yep. And it took me out of the movie. You know, that sort of um, reaction as well. What about that shot scene where her nipple is showing? Mm. Or the, oh my God, she is so brave. Like, I, I, I'm a new fan. I hated Kira Knightley because of the Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't hate Kira Knightley, but I, I wasn't... I thought she was going to be that star. You know, that, you know, I'm just going to make those type mm -hmm. of movies. She's very good looking, you know, and all that. So she's going to be like that, a poster child pretty much. And what was that other movie? King Arthur, was it? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Well, um, in The Jacket with Adrian Brody, seen it, no. she um, basically goes topless as well. Yeah. There's many love scenes with him. Um, then there's the film Domino, where she's doing this like standing. Yeah, I thought that was more of a scene. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not as if she hasn't gone topless before. This isn't new territory yeah. for her. Um, oh, there's something else. Just be, yeah, and just to clarify, me and Dave have spoken about this millions times. Just because a star goes topless doesn't mean oh she's going to become an actress now. You know, there's a lot more to it, as we was like saying before. But yeah, we talked it, about it on the Melancholia. Yeah, one. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was saying Kirsten Dunst, Kirsten Dunst whatever yep. her name is, um, she uh, wasn't going to get nominated. I was saying it was just nothing. Yeah. It wasn't necessary. Um, well, the original cast of this one, Dangerous Method, uh, Christoph Waltz. Yep, it's interesting about story that? about... The, yeah, yeah. Um, and he backed out the last part. His uncle was a student of Freud and he begged Cronenberg, I really want to do this. You know, it started out as a screenplay. Didn't get anywhere, so the guy had to adapt it as a stage play and it became a stage play. Christoph Waltz badly wanted to do this and Dave Cronenberg went, yeah, let's rock and roll. Let's yeah. do this. You know, green lights... I wonder the whole if, way. <laughs> is, is this after he's been in Inglorious Bastards? This is after Inglorious Bastards. So, so he's got some traction. He's got some traction, yeah. exactly. But I think um, he had complications with uh, due to Durango Unchained or Durango. Django. Yeah, Django Unchained. Yeah. Uh, with I think Quentin it's Django. We're going to find out. Exactly. And he completely backed out and left Cronenberg in the lurch. Cronenberg plays his spade in his hands and calls his best friend Viggo Mortensen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. He was in the other role. Like... Um, um, well, Christian Bale. Oh yes, yes. Was, Christian Bale was going to play out young. as well. Yeah, and um, Julia Roberts apparently was going to play really? the Keira Knightley role. Yeah, you know that this probably would have revived her career in some way. Oh, uh, well, she was in know, that Mirror she's Mirror. In Mirror Mirror. But no, Mirror Mirror is going to be eclipsed by um, <laughs> Snow White. Snow and the White Huntsman. Huntsman exactly. Um, Charlize Theron's doing good work. Yeah, um, yeah. she's in Prometheus, which we're going to we're going to review in June. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I thought at the beginning. Keira Knightley's performance was really detailed and really, you know, crazy yeah. and believable. Yep. And then I just thought it got worse and worse. The performance got worse or the story got worse? Well, oh, a bit of both, really. <laughs> um, the men did fairly strong performances. It was yep. very dialogue heavy. You're sort of waiting for stuff to happen. Mm. And what made it so much worse on Cronenberg's part was that the camera was so static yeah, yeah. all the time. He doesn't do a very crazy like Orson Wellian shots he just wants yeah yeah. I would have liked any kind of <laughs> anything you know that put a perspective on it. It yep. was well done like yeah. it's 
um, not creatively made though mm. that's what bugged me yeah. is that the most motion you get is when the camera is on a boat and you're getting that kind of boat rocking yeah. or there's this one shot where they're lying in the boat and the camera kind of cranes down exactly, into the boat yeah, yeah. and that was it it would have been great to see because a period piece of that time or maybe a bit earlier was Barry Lyndon you know and you had crazy insane shots an ugly story but the most beautiful beautiful shots it would have been great just to get some you know it's interesting because he has a very great good DOP working for him mm. um, the same guy who shot one of the greatest science fiction movies ever made Empire Strikes Back and okay. they've been best friends ever since but yeah. he had nothing to do <laughs> nothing, yeah. it would have been a, just a cakewalk yeah. he just would have been like okay David where do you want me to put the camera okay and that's it <laughs> I'll tell you the most annoying thing about this sure. movie yep you watch the whole movie and at the end just like yourself I was unsatisfied I didn't enjoy it and again a lot of stuff went over my head I'll just say on the um, on the uh, technical kind of um, what do you call it uh, psychoanalytical yep. stuff stuff yep. went over my head as well yep. absolutely you can't be an expert on everything I went and did a little looking into whether or not anybody was an expert in the field and was talking about it and everybody on message boards and stuff seemed like robots they seemed like plants from the studio really people were like this film is completely accurate and i can completely vouch for it there were no examples and all these people had names like bob 32 and stuff you know <laughs> just like not wow, creative that's geeky disgusting. names <laughs> yeah and then i did find a thread that was like everybody on this thread is a studio plant and stuff and i was like yeah absolutely <laughs> well I had to listen to the commentary to understand oh okay because you know there was a lot of letter formats there and I'm like oh geez, not uh, another letter voiceover the letters over. were bad I know but then I heard he goes oh you got to understand this is during the days when you get eight mails a day from eight people. That, that's how they letters yeah, a yeah, day eight letters a day like the mailman will come around eat, so you send off a letter you can expect the guy to get it you yeah, know within, that day yeah that day crazy yeah. stuff I guess there's was, not much to do yeah not, I know not as you, many destinations if I was directed I'd be like hmm we'll go for the voiceover <laughs> <laughs> it seemed to me like with those letters they were fairly pointless you could have had uh, Viggo Mortensen come up and say uh, Sabina has written to me and told me this you sure. know and yeah, that would yeah. have covered it yeah, yeah. you know it didn't have to go for as long as it did <laughs> you know, the worst part of the entire film was at the very end when the credits start and you get that here's what happened to everybody yeah with this kind of film, I really feel like you have to commit and do their entire life. Wow. If you're going to go in this approach, If it's going to go approach, gonna be yeah. two hours long, you want to see everything. And you could have cut some of the elements here and uh, skipped several years. You skipped several years in the film, but do the entire life. You know, show them at the end, you know, writing a letter to each other or something that says, you know, five years later, ten years later. Sure. You know? yeah. Was this the last point of contact they ever had? I doubt it. No, you know? yeah, yeah. And all the stuff that happened to them afterwards sounded really interesting. When you read, they're like, oh, so-and-so was poisoned and so-and-so died here and did this. You're like, wow, that sounds interesting. Yep. Yeah. More so than what I've just seen. Mm. And that was the worst part of this film. Was Yeah, that yeah, for sure. It could have been so much more interesting. Yeah. But it uh, wasn't. It's like he grabbed that knife and just went right there <laughs> it's, it seemed like a budget version as well sure yeah yeah no definitely as an independent movie they and especially with this subject matter I don't think they got much money for it well 15 million pounds okay about 30 million dollars yeah. yeah but it made 5 million dollars US yeah so yeah. I think most Cronenberg movies um, aren't going to make much money I think over time you know that but you don't make money on DVD sales now I mean probably not no no <laughs> um, I'm wondering like is Cronenberg done 
No, no. Is he going to bring out more and more failures? They said the same thing with Crash and Existence and they bomb. No, I I think like a lot of actors are knocking. Like they all actors, I think, would have like a top ten list of directors to work with, and Cronenberg is definitely up there. Like uh, Christian Bale really wants to work with him. Uh, You got Christoph Waltz who was desperately desperate to do that job. Um, His late next film, Cosmopolis, has got a rising young kid, uh, the Twilight Kid. You know, like Uh, every actor, um, Robert Pattinson. Yeah, you talked about that last. Yeah, and he's got this team that, like, he's one of, firstly, he's one of Canada's biggest prides. Like, James Cameron and David Cronenberg, they're like, they're Canada's icons that they, the, the banner that they show up to the world. And secondly, he's just got this team, devoted team, like, um, uh, what's his name? Guillermo del Toro, and you got other fans like that. Yeah, he's just got too many fans. He's he's going to be consistently working like David Lynch, I think. So he's people, like an artist. People yeah. will keep giving him oh, money. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. David Cronenberg, he's an artist. Like, he's, like, he's going to be remembered more than, I think, like, uh, let's say the the man in back, black director Barry Sonnenfeld <laughs> uh, Barry Sonnenfeld <laughs> dear me um, one thing I really took from this though I mean there were little things I enjoyed sure um, the camera movement was not one of them as you <laughs> said um, the documentary Tyson do you know who directed that yep. one um, and I've forgotten but yeah I know the director yep. yeah. <laughs> and I've forgotten yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're informative here on Pod Me If You Can um, the Tyson story uh, you've told me this before and it stuck with me that when they interviewed Mike Tyson they sat him in that kind of spotlight and the director walked around behind him and stuff out of his sight exactly like this mm. where they're sort of psychoanalyzing and got like really interesting stuff out of Mike Tyson. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh wow, I wonder if this is exactly based on, you know, how they on, on these techniques. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on this technique, exactly. Um, did you think of Mike Tyson at all? No, I didn't no. actually. But yeah, I know exactly the scene you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. The, the the interview portion. Yeah, the, of Tyson. the director's strategy was he just walk around and stand behind him, then whisper words and then ask questions. What about your father? You know, and stuff like that. And he'd just be looking at the camera and just yeah. talk oh crazy probably stuff. forget the cameras there after yeah, a while yeah exactly yeah yeah with that technique and no. it was long sessions wasn't it yeah it was hours long, and hours long sessions yep yeah really work the subject yeah go, down. go check that out it's a very interesting um doco um Viggo Mortensen fairly convincing um I'm sort of wondering who the main character is here. Would you say it's Young? I would say Carl Jung, and yep. then, yeah, maybe a bit of... Cur- like, obviously, it's the main three leads, but, yeah, Carl Jung is driving the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, um, the first conversation they have lasts 13 hours, and uh, Freud used cocaine, <laughs> so you can see why it sort of lasted 13 hours. <laughs> but within a film that already feels long, you shouldn't say, oh, we've been talking for 13 hours, because you're like, oh, man, you're going to keep <laughs> talking, aren't you? You know, it's really annoying i found a lot of it interesting i'm just not a psychological student psychology student and i just i'm just not familiar with the subject like i know who freud is and i know he's like everything he's been taught is like every student just goes no it's, freud's right freud's right you know and it's good to see that it's where everything is sexual and a log means exactly. it's a penis yeah and- exactly and uh, everyone went it's interesting with history everyone went freud's way and carl jung had the other alternative like carl carl jung was popular in the 60s and 70s because he experimented with all different kinds of like he was very spiritual as well as freud wasn't at all he didn't want any of that so and that that was discussed in the movie as Mm -hmm. well um but yeah it's great to see the film like tell everyone look at this time there were two discussions not just freud there was carl jung as well you know he had very different opinions about no he even questioned freud's why does everything have to be sexual you know Mm. and i I believe that's true you know since freud's come around every film has seemed to have 
taken you know every serial killer it's because mama didn't love him that's why he kills people you know there's no evil characters anymore Mm. it's always psychoanalytically explained except for the Friday 13th series (laughs) (laughs) alright well Young played by Michael Fassbender yeah yeah he's in tons of things at the moment yeah he's he's coming up isn't he yeah yeah he um he leaves lives a double life right I mean he's got the wealthy wife who is trying to bear him a son sort of thing and and then he's having his affair with Kira Knightley's character Sabina and uh not a very likable guy wouldn't you say yeah it's hard to say because I know a lot of those times it was common to have a mistress and stuff like that at the end when she approaches him and says I hear you have a new mistress it's such common knowledge. Yeah, yeah. You know, his I, wife's not I leaving. I think that's him just for the it. fashion of the times. Like our twenty-first century eyes looking at that is just like, man, that guy is terrible. But mm. I got to understand, like, it's okay. Maybe that's just a common thing of the times. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, but I know exactly what you mean. It's hard for us to to see that. You know, just like okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Sabina knows that he's married as well and mm-hmm. has the affair. Yeah. So that's you know makes her pretty unlikable as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just. Uh, well, Freud as well. He, in the movie, he's like analyzing Young and his dreams and stuff, mm. but he doesn't want to be analyzed. You know, that's annoying as well. Yeah, that is. It's just like, man, put yourself under the periscope. I remember you telling me you really liked that scene where it showed the mechanics of that machine that they were using. The, um, what do you call it, lie detector? Yeah, machine? the lie detector. That was incredible. <laughs> I bet you that was a real one as well. <laughs> and, and initially, you, you don't know, sort of know what's happening, and you sort of have the hands going down, their female hands, and you assume it's Kira Knightley, and then it turns out it's his it's wife. His wife, yeah. And yeah, she's sitting there with the, what do you call it, the needle going up and down, very sort of primitive lie detector yeah, test. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't that fantastic? And he's, he's just saying words, and she just has to say the first thing that comes into his <clears> head. Word association. Word associations, fantastic. Yeah. Hmm. Great scene. Um, uh, it wasn't it funny that scene where um, he <clears> first sees Freud and they're discussing very heavy subjects and Freud goes no no don't worry my family's used to this so the camera cuts their point of view and everyone's just staring at them and he was piling stuff onto his plate oh it was gosh. like how much do you need to eat in this scene <laughs> ridiculous um, Vincent Cassell was in this film as Otto Gross and uh, he says things that also made me cringe like Oh yeah, he gave he got a child from one of his most respectable mistresses and one from his wife and his parents weren't even happy. That yet, was the so. guy who was telling um Carl Jung, "No, it's okay to give in to your yeah. you know the, the for a long time the patient Pulling um, him doctor in different directions. Yeah, yeah, he was saying, "No, it's okay. You can because that's that's a thing obviously so, so, people in psychology have to deal with mm. a lot, I guess, the relationship between the patient." And he was saying, "No, it's fine. Go go at it you know he's very open with his uh, emotions whereas Carl Jung was very conservative you know you got to hold back that you got to be professional <laughs> and that's why I think it was about him really because at the beginning he was really uptight and at the end he was just loose morally yeah yeah um, had a mistress you know didn't care as much yep. you know he was very open whereas Freud was a steely Teflon guy who just went this is mm. yeah yeah and Otto Gross was such a small part but it was like this catalyst for him actually having an affair that's a good point he yep. very much justifies it and says it's all good you know I sleep with patients it doesn't matter and I like it how he's, he escapes over the wall with this ladder that was fantastic yeah <laughs> I thought um, the probably best way to describe it is like Young had a devil and an angel on shoulders yes no very good yep which manufactured his train of thought yeah yep, yeah no I, I hope um, this movie oh, probably in a few years will open up 
the whole world of Carl Jung. Like, I'd be interested if I ever had time to read up on his thoughts and everything in psychology. Because this is, you got to understand, this subject of the film, as me and Dave just said, um, is the birth of psychoanalytical study. And um, the main father, the grandfather of all this is Freud. And he had a very, you know, very good, uh, you know, people at the time working in the same field, such as Carl Jung. And Carl Jung had a very different point of view to how psychoanalytical study should be approached. So I hope his work probably gets discovered, maybe, and mm. it's just not this Freud dominance the whole time. But you're absolutely right. Like, he had, you know, one way, pulling one way with Freud, you know, you got to be professional, and mm. you got to, you know, and the other way going, just open up to your emotions. <laughs> Another one of the things the film did, which made me question it, was um, to have those two sort of big known quantities. Um, I was thinking, oh, were they alive at the same time? Sure. Like, initially, I didn't know. Um, and then when you're sitting there watching them talk they're only really ever acknowledging each other and I thought are they figments of each other's imagination sure, is he yeah. imagining that he's having all these conversations with Freud Freud yep and um, you know there's a scene where they're sitting there uh, in a, like a boardroom situation talking at each other and all the other men get up and leave and look back at young talking and then walk off kind of oh, thing oh sure and almost like, as if his head <laughs> yeah almost as if he's sitting there talking to himself <laughs> and I wouldn't have been surprised if, if that had happened at the end. It probably yeah. would have been a more interesting movie to yeah, me. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, because I was sort of thinking, all right, am I missing something? <laughs> is this all there is? Yeah, yeah. You know? Go go, M. Night Shyamalan, like fire Cronenberg and get yeah. M. Night Shyamalan in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> and you find out that he's been talking to himself and, yeah, yeah. or he's been reading a letter out loud. <laughs> I, I thought, did you think it was a big treat to go, wow, there's Freud? Did, you, did that ever hit you? And that th- this is him speaking like did that ever hit you it hit me for a while and go wow this is freud on I mean, screen it, talking you know it, it just felt like wow i've never seen this like i don't know maybe other movies have done this but it's freud right there and i know with Cronenberg's approach probably because i know the director it would have been researched like crazy it's just freud talking and discussing things. he had the look down as well oh, if yeah. you look at and a the picture of him how he's holding the cigarette because he, he got i think he got throat cancer or something like that um uh, Freud or something because he smoked like 60 cigars a day or something insane mm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Very nice. <laughs> no I don't know if he got throat cancer sure yeah no you're right <laughs> um, yeah in response to like when uh, Sabina is talking about how she has no sexual experience mm. and she wants to I don't know get some sexual experience from young um, there's a really good line where he they say law students are not normally expected to rob banks. <laughs> you know, like just because you're studying it doesn't mean you have to do it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, suppressing our most basic human desire, you know, was seemed like a general theme of the film. Well said, yep, you exactly, s- yeah. You sort of say that um, in that time it was natural to have affairs and stuff. Sure. It, it wasn't natural for young. And so this is his sort of fall from grace in a way. Yeah, because and- he had that professionalism. He had to, he wasn't sure to stick to or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of... I, I hated him a bit for falling so far. Yeah. Uh, which made the film worse for me. Yeah. You know, I mean, it got 6.6 on IMDb, like, out of 10. Well, what would they know? <laughs> I don't know. It's a no, I'm general just kidding. Consensus. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... He, it's funny, there's a scene he feels so bad about sleeping with Kira Knightley that he instantly buys his ho- uh, wife a house. Like, straight yeah. away after that, it shows yeah. him buying her a house. <laughs> Which is like the modern equivalent of bring home flowers. <laughs> <laughs> no, well said, absolutely. And uh, when the affair finally ends and he's had enough, uh, she says, don't you love me anymore? 
you know, and he says, only as your physician, <laughs> which is just like, what? <laughs> yes. And I can understand why she goes nuts. <laughs> do you think there was ever love between them? I think so. A bit of that. They were both intelligent. They were both um, on the same field. And I think he was just like, wow, I found someone, you know, who, who can keep up with me um, intellectually. And she, of course, takes some of Freud's patients on at one point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then she had that sexual ferocity that I think deep down he does, he liked. Mm-hmm. You know, he really liked that. And at the same time, he was living this perfect life with a beautiful, rich wife, you know, at the same time. Oh, it's very hard to say. I think he loved both women equally, but um, but yeah, he wasn't... It seemed like he yeah. was going through the motions with his wife. Sure, Perhaps yeah. in that time, mistresses came about because they couldn't divorce each other. Sure. You know, there was yeah, probably yeah. church issues and... Yeah, financial constraints <clears throat> and so forth, yeah. Yeah. I thought uh, the most impressive thing was probably the set decoration, the costume. Yeah, yeah. You know, capturing 1904 to 1913. It's interesting, Viggo Mortensen. He, I always say it's interesting a lot. Um, Viggo Mortensen. <laughs> You're only just um, realising that, <laughs> which is interesting. <laughs> uh, Viggo Mortensen buys a lot of his own objects that he puts in the film. Like he'll research the film, just go around the locations, like of the, where it's set in, whether it be Russia with Eastern Promises. Well, it wasn't set in Russia, but you know what I mean. And he'll buy a lot of ornaments to put around the set, just mm. to so he can immerse himself of the character that's very cool mm. I wonder if you did that with Lord of the Rings I don't know travel around wherever Elf Middle Land Earth. is <laughs> well, let's not start a war this is a good this. leprechaun hat <laughs> let's not start a war on this podcast just so you know Dave, David doesn't hate on Lord of the Rings like no. me so we're 50-50 here. 50% hate of Lord of the Rings <laughs> yeah. on this podcast <laughs> there was a line where Freud said how sweet it must be to die and I, oh, that's when he had that stroke. Mm. Wow. <clears throat> Powerful words, huh? And I thought, he must think it is great to die so you're no longer are plagued by thought and wonder and what if. And that at the end you just know or you know nothing more and well it's said. just a full stop. Well said, you know? yep. Yeah, I thought that was probably the best line of the entire that was script. cool, yeah. Yeah, and um, I enjoyed little things about this film. Yep. But not the film itself. Sure, like overall, yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, yeah, it's a weird feeling you get at the end. You're unsatisfied. You're mm. in. You're mentally exhausted. Yes. You're, you're pulled in left, right, um, center. Um, you know, but it's still. I, I reckon go check out this film, especially um, psychology students. Like, it's just great to see Freud up on screen. Great to see great performances. Performances but, yeah. are strong. Yeah, it's, performances. Are, whether you can. Um, sit through the Keira Knightley one sure, it seems like 50-50 yeah. it is no, well said yeah, you like 50/50, it or you hate yeah. it if you hate it you probably hate the film yeah. if you like it you can tolerate the film it, it's not your typical Hollywood movie as Dave said um, but it's uh, I think it'll go down like I said um, Sid- Sidney Lumet's films are shown to um, students of law 12 Angry Men mm-hmm. and uh, The Verdict so they'll go down in history as like this film that tells people about stuff <laughs> and I, I think um a dangerous method will be for um psych- students of psychology absolutely and i think that they really do a decent job talking about the analysis of dreams in this film yeah and sort of what this could mean and what that could well mean, said you know? yep. and uh, i found that interesting as well yeah that, that's what i mean the talk is like wow that's freud talking about mm. dreams oh my gosh yeah yeah and it's probably like the best window into the mind of what they're doing like and the least sort of speculation involved it's yep. like oh well this could be this everything is sexual with freud as we've said yep. but still really fascinating exactly stuff. yeah yeah 
could have been way more epic though <laughs> like i said at the end uh they had nazis in the final text. yeah yeah uh, the tragic endings it wasn't it to all of them. Is, just like well shot. that would have been a good movie <laughs> yeah i mean in atonement it sort of takes you through uh Keira knightley's in that as well and it takes you through their entire life you know sort of thing that's a world war one movie yeah yeah and, and they sort of that. show you know up until people's deaths and stuff like that having you know nazis shooting sabina uh otto gross starves to death why not include all the stuff that leads up to their deaths and the bit where young becomes the world's best psychoanalyst you know and just sort of takes the mantle if he's the lead character you can see it being this epic film where he knocks off Freud from his podium, you know. Having you said that, it's interesting David Cronenberg didn't go in that direction. It's like, wow, that was a good opportunity. <laughs> well, I mean, you could have even... I mean, I guess there's still time to do a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, judging by its $5 million profit. <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, no, you say somebody will put up money for Cronenberg's No, no, next you're, film. you're right. <laughs> somebody must. <laughs> Are you After watching this film, you're looking forward to Cosmopolis? <laughs> I don't know much about it. Sure, I mean, neither do I, and that's the way I like to keep yeah. it. Right. I didn't know anything about Dangerous Best, so I was like, oh, oh, Freud. <laughs> Robert Pattinson's going to have to do better than he did in Water for Elephants for it to be uh, successful. <laughs> I haven't seen any of the Twilight, but I'm assuming this kid is a megastar. I watched the first one, but that is all I've sat through. <laughs> no, we, we both got nothing against it, just, you know, just not our feeling. We'll see what happens. Sure. If you want us to review one of those films, you can hit us up on Facebook. <laughs> All right, we'll wrap this up. Next yep. time, we will be analysing and discussing Tim Burton's latest film, Dark Shadows, starring Johnny Depp. Should be an interesting conversation. And uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes. Just search Pod Me if you can. Uh, yeah, we would really appreciate any ratings and any feedback on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, check out A Dangerous Method by David Cronenberg now. Thanks, guys. All the best.